I'll never forget it. It was a normal Sunday morning, and it was a Sunday morning much like this. I was kind of going through the aisles, and there was a a single mom there. She had a newborn and maybe a two-year-old, and you could just tell she was struggling. And she was trying to manage the little Bibles and hold the baby and keep the two-year-old under control. And I just came up, and I said, I'm so glad you're here. And she looked at me, and her eyes started to brim with water, just just almost to the point of bringing tears. She said, I'm, I'm really not sure why I am. I said, well, why would you say that? I said, you're, you've got your children here. You're going to worship. She said, yes, but I'm not sure I'll get anything out of it today. The children have been terrible, and they're acting up, and they're being loud, and the baby won't stay quiet. And I said... I said, well, it's a wonderful thing. We love children here at Northside. And I, I told her that there are some tools. We have a little training room if, if it gets too bad, or we have a little nursery back off uh, this side of the foyer. I said, feel free, you know, take your, take your children. We don't have children's training hour today, but that Sunday we did. And we'll have children's training hour for the little one. And, and she just looked at me with, it's like I had given water to a thirsting woman in a desert. She said... Oh, thank you. You mean I can I can take my children there? What a what a wonderful church. I said, yes, we love children. She said, oh, oh, bless you, preacher. Thank you so much. I promise I will pick them up Thursday, maybe Friday at the latest. (laughs) We do love children. We really love babies and little children. and, And we have these resources here for you because we love children because they always tend to bring their parents with them. And uh, that's why we want them here. And But if you're struggling, if, if you're in the pew and you're thinking, man, why am I here? And, you know, all of that. I just want you to know we still have those resources, the training room over there in the nursery. That's for you. The reason that we want you here, even on those days when you wonder if it's doing any good. And that's what we're going to talk about today because of what we're focusing on today is why I bring that up. We are in a series called Habit, and we've been talking about these five little habits that are little things, but they make a big difference in our walk with the Lord. And we talked first about holiness. That was the H. We said the holiness, usually we try to start with us. You know, when I tell people that I'm a preacher and they say, well, you know, they start the straightening the tie effect, you know, and they tell me all the good things that they do. And that's wonderful. Nothing wrong with that. But holiness doesn't start there. Holiness begins with God. When he gave his son for us. And once we are in Christ, then the Holy Spirit dwells within us. We can have holiness bestowed to us. And then holiness grows. Then last week we talked about accountability. And how that that makes us nervous to talk about accountability. And what that means, we said it has to start with upward accountability. We believe that someday we'll have to answer for our lives to the Lord. And so we look upward. And then as we reflect upward toward the Lord in prayer and, and through his word, we reflect Inward, And that causes us to examine our lives and our hearts and what's happening there and how we need to be making some changes. And then we once we've done that, then we can go to outward accountability where we're helping one another as the body of Christ is supposed to do. Today, we talk about the Bible, the word, the living, breathing word of God. If you have a Bible with you this morning, would you hold it up for just a minute? Everybody's like, oh, where's the Bible? Where's the Bible? Do you know? No, no, no. I didn't say put it down. Hold it up. Do you know what you are holding in your hands? You are holding not just any book, 
I, I see some people over there not holding up Bibles. What is this, the unbible crowd? We got the, when you're holding, some people are holding up songbooks. <laughs> Maybe that illustrates better than I can do it with my mouth. But when you're holding the Bible, you're holding in your hands not just any book, but the book of all books. The words that we sang about this morning are ancient, but they're ever true. You can put them down. Some of you bonus extra credit people and just keep holding it up. Those words, the Apostle Paul said, were God breathed. They are numas. They change the heart and the soul. They cut dividing to the very soul and the spirit, the writer of Hebrews says. Those words are not just old words. That book is not just a book. It's a collection of 66 books written by over 40 different authors over 1,500 years. But no other book like that book has changed the heart and the lives of so many people. I've watched it. I've watched the power of God's holy words change the heart and the life. When you are holding your Bible, I want you now to open it to Psalm chapter 19, verses 7 through 11. The psalmist there has some words to say about the word of God. If you're opening, I love to hear the sound of pages turning. I would say I love to hear the sound of phone scrolling, but that's less impressive. But whatever method you are, turn to Psalm 19. Because this is one of those verses that you can read. And if you've been a Christian long enough, you can say, yes, yes, or amen. Yes, I've seen that happen. The psalmist there says in Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11. Now, I can only imagine he didn't have pages like you did. He had scrolls, you know. And he would open those scrolls up and he would look at the words that were penned on the page by the prophets of old. And he would read them. And here's what he says about those words. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, uh, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than that of the purest gold. They are sweeter than honey. Than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Oh, I believe those words about the word. And I almost every single line yields itself to saying, yes, yes, that'll preach. But if the word is so good and so righteous and so precious... Why is it that so many people who claim to believe God's word spend so little time in God's word? 
We've come to an age where we are increasingly becoming more and more biblically illiterate. People in the pews don't know the word of God that not only sanctifies the soul, but changes the life and the heart. Why is it that if we believe those things about the word, that we're not in the word more often? There's a lot of excuses. There's a lot of reasons to think about it. Uh, um, Most of you. When you held up a Bible, you held up a book, if you held up a paper one, that was probably over a thousand pages. Let me pick on Bill here this morning. Let me have your book. I mean, this, this is a preacher's Bible now. This is the Bible thumping kind of Bible. Look at that. Look how thick that is. I don't even have to look at it to tell you it's well over a thousand pages. When I first became a Christian, I'd never read a book over 500 pages. And I went with my grandmother to the Better Book Room here in town, and we picked out my NIV study Bible, just as thick and as large as this. And I opened that Bible, and I can still remember the smell of the new pages, and opening it, and hungering for it, and loving it, but being overwhelmed at the mere size of it. How in the world? Most people start out with great intentions. They, they go all gung-ho in Genesis. They start to slow down by Exodus, Leviticus. They are totally lost. And by Deuteronomy, they give up. That's almost every single Bible reading plan. And they get overwhelmed by the size of it. And yet, yet they'll read pages and pages and pages of a novel. Multiple pages of multiple novels from a series by an author. We will scroll through pages and pages and pages of our Facebook and Twitter feed. And yet we come to the word of God and say, it's too big. It's just too much. I just can't handle it. Some people say, well, I don't have the time. I really don't have the time to read the Bible. So my plan, and this is not, this is the preacher reading your minds now. Uh, My plan basically is to bring my Bible to church and, and get the preacher. We pay him to study. And so... What we're going to do is listen to what the preacher says and uh, open the Bible during that time, and then we'll be okay. And I take my Bible, and I go home, and I put it on my dresser, and there it six for the next 167 hours, untouched. You say, you can't pick on me. I'm a really busy guy. I'm very successful at my job. I have a lot of work to do. I have a family to provide for. I have things i got to get done. I don't have any possible time to be in that book. And yet, just last weekend, you binge-watched two seasons of the Gilmore Girls. I'm looking at Jesse Neisler. He knows that I know. Don't tell me you don't have the time. The problem is not the lack of time. The problem is the prioritization of the time. By one measure, you can read through the Bible in a measure of 71 hours. At a normal speaking voice, you can read from Genesis to Revelation. 71 hours, you divide that into a year's time, and that means about 12 minutes. Let's say that you're a little bit of a slower reader. Give yourself 30 minutes a day. Okay, I'm not saying that Jesse can't watch Gilmore Girls. I'm just saying watch one less episode. I pick on Jesse. There's some men in here, here in about a month. They're going to say, I don't really have time to be watching the Bible. But I am going to be watching some basketball during March now. And some of you said the preacher just went from preaching to meddling. (laughs) 
My point in these examples is not that basketball or Gilmore Girls is bad. My point is don't say you don't have time to read the Bible when you have time to do everything else in the world. Now, if we're honest, the truth is that most of those reasons are pale excuses for the real issue. I have this as my what I call my pulpit Bible because it's small, it's portable, it's easy to use. I carried this to many, many camps over the years, and uh, there right in the front of it, Naaman Williams wrote these words. I don't know what happened. He found it at camp somewhere. He found it, and he wrote me this little note. And at the bottom, he wrote these words. He said, this book will keep me from sin, or sin will keep me from this book. That's the heart of it. Most of the time, it's not that I don't, haven't read a book that big. It's not that I don't have the time. It's that I know what the book says, and I really don't want to hear it. It's sin that keeps us out of the book. <laughs> I love what R.C. Sproul said about this. He said it's, it's worse than sin. He said it's just selfishness. He said a little over 100 years ago, he said, We fail in our duty to study God's word, not so much because it is difficult to understand, not so much because it is dull and boring, but because it is work. Our problem is not a lack of intelligence or even a lack of passion. Our problem is that we are lazy. If you didn't like that, I didn't say it. That was R.C. Sproul who said that, okay? You get mad at him, but I think he's right. It comes down to we do what we want to do. It's like that story of the three little boys. They were sitting at the edge of the park, and the one in the middle had this big old bag of candy. And it looked real good. He was just chewing on down, you know. And his friend on the right of him said, hey, can I have some of that candy? And the boy said, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to give it any of this candy. You're so greedy. You just look at me. You see it's my candy. And you, all you want to do is ask God. No, you can't. have a single piece. Keeps on eating that candy. He gets all the way down to that big old bag. And he's just one piece left. Now, the boy on his left has said nothing. And he's looking with these big old puppy dog eyes. And as the boy in the middle grabs that piece of candy and puts it to his mouth, he said, hey, just a minute. I just want you to know. I just want to point out. I haven't asked for a single piece of candy. The boy in the middle just pops in his mouth. He said, I know I was waiting for you to ask. I just wondered where he was keeping you for so long. But since you didn't ask, you can't have it. You see, the point is the boy in the middle was going to do what he wanted to do. The point is with us, reading the Bible, being in the word and letting the word be in us is a matter of choice. Are we going to do it? It all depends on what we want to do. So let me make a case for you very quickly this morning of why the word matters. First, there is something different about God's word. It nourishes the soul. The psalmist said, sweet like honey. Honey is one of those beautiful things that has a multitude of purpose. You can put it, use it to sweeten your tea. My wife takes sweet tea that has sugar cooked into it already and adds honey. Is not right, I tell you, it's not right. That's why she's so sweet. But we can take that same little container of honey and she'll make some biscuits and put it on there. And don't you know that glob of butter and just put a little bit of honey in that? Perfect. Now I got you all wanting to go to guest lunch. But the point is, it's sweet and it's good and it's useful for a variety of purposes. And in the same way, God, God's word is sweet and good and useful for a variety of purposes. It's spiritual nourishment. Jesus said that the word of God, well, let's turn to Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. He said, the word of God, man shall not live on bread alone. 
but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. From the day you were born and you came into this world to the very day you leave this world, your body will require continual nourishment. I love what Peter said. He said, like newborn babes, first Peter two, verse two, he said, like newborn babes crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. How that you have tasted that the Lord is Good. I can remember when I was a young man and I didn't have much exposure to the Bible, but I remember my sweet Aunt Donna. And every time we went to worship, she had that Bible open and she had little markers and underlines and notes. And when I started studying the Bible, we studied that Jewel Miller correspondence course. And I would go through and answer the questions. And I had my Bible open and they would ask a question and I would read the scripture and let the scripture answer. But I can still remember on my desk just flipping and turning the pages of that correspondence course of the Bible as I studied the correspondence course and thinking, I love this. This is new to me. I hungered for it. It was like a newborn babe. You know, when they, they first and they, they come into the world and they just gulp down the milk. They just crave it. And when they can't have it, they cry for it. And they cry and they cry and you think they'll never stop crying. But most of what will fulfill what they crave is the milk. And Peter says, I want you to be like that with the word. Crave it, long for it, love it. Not so much because of the words themselves, but because of the author who wrote it. You see, when we're drawing near to the word, we're drawing near to the author. It's what Psalm 119 said that was just read. How sweet are your words to my taste. How How sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts. Therefore, I hate every wrong path. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light to my path. Once you've tasted the word of God, it brings a holy kind of hunger. I found this video of a group of Christians in China, the part of the underground church. You and I. Come to a church and most likely we have Bibles. If we don't have them physically, we have them on our phones or our tablets or whatever. If we don't have them there, we have a shelf that is full of at least 52 Bibles. We have the Bible so much that we don't even think about it. I want you to imagine a, a land where the Bible is outlawed, where the church meets secretly. This church, a missionary happened to capture what happened the moment a new crate of Bibles came in. We'll show this video. It's from International Christian Concerns. I need you guys to bring up the sound just a little bit as we watch their response from receiving the Word of God. The lady in the video, you probably don't understand Chinese, says, thanks be to God, we need this book so much. When I see this book, I think of the brothers and sisters who have helped us and brought this to us. This is what we needed the most. I love that. I wish I could see firsthand that happening more often. But more often, I see less of that. See how they hunger for it, how they crave it, and they can't have it. They're like newborn babes craving the pure spiritual milk of the word. Can I ask you a question? When was the last time you hungered for God's word? 
not just reading it out of duty, not just because the preacher made you feel bad, but you hungered for it. You desired it. You, you, you wanted it. You needed it. You couldn't begin the day without it because it was that spiritual nourishment. This, the woman said, is what our church needs the most. You know what? That's not just true for many Christians meeting in the underground church halfway around the world. That's true right here. It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God that changes people as they come into our Celebrate Recovery ministry and they hear God's Word. And it changes them. It's the Word of God who meets the needs of our teenagers struggling in the world today. Growing up in a world full of temptation and peer pressure. It's the Word of God that's going to change them. It's the Word of God that what our church needs the most. It's the Word of God that, that our children need as they are taught in Bible classes. It's the Word of God. It's not just for all of them. It's what all of you need as well. It's what your preacher needs. It's what your elders need. We need the Word so much. I hope that we might hunger for it. It changes the heart. Um, there are only two ways that I can water my lawn. I have one of these fancy lawns that needs watering between March and November. <laughs> this kind of year, it's going to have to start in February, I guess. There's only two ways I can water that lawn. I can turn on my sprinkler system and let it know at such and such a time I need such and such amount of water. And at that time, the rotors will pop up and the water will spray and begin to water the lawn as it's been prescribed. But the second way is that occasionally some raindrops will fall from heaven. And if enough of them hit my little rain sensor, it'll turn off the sprinkler and say, don't need any of the city water. What I need is God's water. I've seen my lawn watered with my water, and I've seen my lawn watered with God's water. And do you know what makes the grass greenest? Do you know what makes the lawn the strongest? you know what makes the flowers the prettiest? It's always, always, always God's water. Now, I can point that out, and we all know that that's true. This is what Isaiah chapter 55, verse 10 and 11 says. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish. So it is with my word that yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So it is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. There are two ways to water your heart. May I ask you, which way are you watering yours? You're trying to use self-help books. You're trying to figure it out all by yourself. Are you letting the heavenly water fall into your life and change your heart? Third, it matures your faith. I don't know if you remember when you became a Christian, but I guarantee you if you've been a Christian long enough, hopefully there's been some change. The only way to get that change in maturity is through God's word, because it and it alone changes the thinking. I don't care if you want to lose weight, if you want to change your career, if you want to be a better parent, you want to be a better spouse. The only way that that change begins to happen is right here. in The space God put between your ears and until your thinking changes Nothing else will change in your life. And yet the mind is so stubborn. The mind is so... hold It just holds on to what it's always done. True transformation and change must begin in the mind. And this is the power of the living, active Word of God. 
Worship with all the passion you can muster. Serve until your hands bleed. Pray until you're out of breath. And you will not experience the change that is wrought by being in the Word of God. Or more rightly said, letting the Word of God be in you. It's what changes us into better spouses and better parents. It's what makes us more like Christ. It changes. The Apostle Paul said to his protege, Timothy, all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You see, I get up here and preach every week. And you may say, well, that's a good sermon or that's a terrible sermon. (laughs) But what transforms the life is the word which is preached, not the messenger, but the message. May we desire and crave. God's word is not just information, it's transformation. The word is the standard, not just for what is true. It's the standard for what's transforming in our lives. You're just saying ancient words. Ever true, changing me. Those words are at least 1,900 years old since someone penned them. And they are still just as true today as they were then. And they are still just as transformative today as they were then. May we then desire that word. It was the word of God that spoke the stars into existence from nothing. It's that very same word that's going to transform, shape, and mature you into who God wants you to be. Fourth, the word sanctifies the soul. This is where faith begins. Romans ten seventeen says, consequently, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. But faith doesn't just start by being exposed to the word. Faith is matured and completed by being in the word. John seventeen seventeen. Jesus was in the garden. He was praying. It was the night before he was crucified. And he said to his father, father, sanctify them by your truth. Thy word is truth. Oh, may it sanctify us, not just at the moment when we step into Christ, but as we become more more like Christ each and every day. It sets us apart eternally, but it sets us apart in every single way. You've been a Christian long enough and you've been living out the word. You notice your your personal lives will look different. Your marriages will look better. You'll be a better parent. You'll be a better worker because not of you, but because of the word of God and its transforming power to shape you. Very simply said, well, let me pick on our preacher's wife. This must be the preacher's wife section this morning. I remember several years ago that I went to the Tulsa workshop. And when we were at the Tulsa workshop, we happened to be sitting there with our friends, Steve and Cindy. And Steve and Cindy were sitting next to us. Do you remember this? No, not at all. That's what happens when you get older. Uh, We were in a class. They left to partake of another class. I noticed that in the chair next to us where Cindy had been sitting was a giant red Bible. Can I see your giant red Bible? Now, Bill had a Bible. Cindy has a Bible. you got to lift before you can hold Cindy's Bible. How many of you have seen Cindy's Bible? You all should raise your hand because you're looking at it right now. There was this big, beautiful red Bible. Sitting there, and I knew it was her, so I picked it up, and I called Steve and said, Hey, got Cindy's Bible. He said, Good. She was a little excited. Can't imagine. 
And so I took the Bible, and I said, we're going to meet up the next day. And so I did what preachers have to do. I started getting nosy. I said, what does the preacher's wife Bible look like? At first, you notice it's held together by a strap. You see, the pages are falling apart. And as you open it and you pour over it, it's, it's the Bible you know Cindy Tandy has. Because every single word has been underlined. Because it's full of notes and words and pages to herself and responses from Scripture. And it's, it's a book that I just love to look at. You know, the truth of the matter is that most people who have Bibles, which are falling apart, have lives who are not. It's such a beautiful picture of how much she loves and desires the word. How much she craves it. And I didn't get her permission to do that because she wouldn't let me because it embarrasses her. But why is Cindy sweet Cindy? Because she's in the word and because the word is in her. It's where it sanctifies the life and makes her and us into who God wants us to be. So we got to get the word inside our hearts. Now, normally I just give you one habit to work on. Um, but today I realize that there's a variety of spiritual maturity. Some of you have never opened the Bible in your life. You just depend on someone else to do it. Here's a thought that will blow your mind. There are parts of the Bible that you'll never hear read in a church. If you made the Bible into a movie, the rating on that movie would be X. Because the Bible's a very honest book. There are parts of the Bible that are inappropriate to read in a public setting. That you don't want to be filling out on the outline. You have to read it for yourself to understand what God wants you to know. So this morning I'm going to give you four possible ways One of them I hope you'll do, so I've sort of checked it off for you. The other three I'll let you choose. Number one, got to read it daily. Why daily? Well, let me ask you, of the seven days that are coming up in front of you, which days do you think you're going to be tempted on? Which day do you think you're going to have problems in? Which day do you think you're going to have pressure in? Which Which day do you think you're going to have trials in? Just the days that end in why. How did Jesus respond when he was tempted? He was tempted in the wilderness by the devil. And how did he respond every single time? Three simple words. It is written. Our very Savior who wrote the book is is engaging in spiritual battle with that ancient foe. And he goes back to the word every single time. I love that. I love him, and I'll pray that we'll be more like him, that we'll seek the word out. What did Jesus respond when he, when he had students who had questions, when he had enemies who were pressuring him, when he had the crowd all around him? He said, have you not read? On the day of judgment, the excuse passed. The excuse will not pass that I did not have time, God, to read the letter that you wrote to me. I love 2 Timothy 4.13. The Apostle Paul's in this cold, dark prison. He's writing to his young Timothy, Timothy, and he's toward the end of his life. And he says this obscure verse in chapter 4, verse 13. 
He says, bring my cloaks and bring also the parchments. The Apostle Paul had had a vision of the risen Jesus. He had had a vision of heaven. The Apostle Paul had preached and been stoned and been mistreated and persecuted on behalf of the church. And he sits in a cold prison and he wants two things. A cloak to warm his body and the word of God to warm his heart. He loves the word. May we love the word. So seek the daily bread. Get a plan. Doesn't matter. You can use our reading plan. You can use your version. You can use whatever plan you want. Any plan works if you work the plan and you work it every day. Secondly, you need to meditate on it faithfully. It's not just about reading the word and closing the book and not thinking. You got to chew on it a little bit. Deuteronomy 6.6 6 says, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Talk about them. Write them. Impress them on your children. You, you got to do more than just read it. You got to let it soak in a little bit. This past couple of weeks, I've been fighting cold or allergies. I don't know what I've been fighting, but someone recommended this hot tea. So I've been drinking it. They, uh, in fact, I have the package right here. I read the reviews on Amazon. I ordered a package. I looked at the instructions. I saw the ingredients. But none of that mattered until I choose to boil the water and do something that the instructions say is called steeping. You know what steeping is? Steeping is to let it soak, to let it saturate. So I'd prepare the water and I'd put that tea bag in. And then, not instantaneously, it took about five, ten minutes, depending on how hot the water was. But that water began to soak into the leaves. And the leaves would begin to boil and they would begin to do something crazy. They would begin to change the water. They would begin to change the water into something different than it used to be. As we watch the tea soak into the bag, think about the words from Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. On whom he meditates day and night. That person is like a a tree planted by streams of water. Which yields its fruit in season. Whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. So let the word of God soak into your life. I, I love that we have some people at Northside who love the word of God so much. They let it soak into their lives, into their heart. And even on their social media page. Liz Austin is great at this. She will put a scripture on her page, usually from the sermon, but sometimes just I'm sure from her daily Bible reading or study. Pam Dossey, who's probably watching home at home right now, will do very much the same thing. She's going through a battle, her and Ron together. And what are they doing? They're letting the word of God soak and seep and saturate and change the mind and change the heart. So meditate on it. And third is memorize it. You say, well, I can't do this, preacher. I don't have a good memory. Uh, I, I bet you have a better memory than you think. If you're married, I hope you remember your anniversary date. If you have a retirement account, I bet you know the password to log in and check the value, don't you? I'm pretty sure you know the PIN code to your ATM. Yep. You say, well, those things are important. Oh, 
You see, we do what we want to do. Let the word of God dwell in you richly. Think of a cold night. You go to a, go camping and you set up your tent and it's just cold. You're chilled to the bone. You can see your breath. And you can't get warm regardless of the clothes. And you see there's a fire over yonder just at the top of the hill. And it's one of those good fires. And it's burning deep. And the embers are glowing. And the flames are just flickering against the, the horizon. How are you, what's the best way to get warm by the fire? Is the best way to go up to the fire and just stand there for just a minute and then move on? No. Now, if you want to get warm, if you want to be warmed by the fire, you go by the fire and you stand there just a minute. And you just soak it in. And if you're really cold, you do this rotisserie action. Okay. This is memorizing the word of God. You're soaking it in and you're letting it soak into you. Proverbs 22:17 and 18 says, pay attention and turn your ear to the sayings of the wise. Apply your heart to what I teach, for it is pleasing when you keep them in your heart and have them ready on your lips. Oh, the Bible gives us some of the best teaching in the world about how to be better husbands and how to be better moms. Best teaching in the world and how to run our business. Best teaching in the world on how to be a better person. Best teaching in the world on finances. Best teaching in the world about every subject under heaven. The wisest man who ever lived wrote a couple of books in the Bible. Solomon, who was the wisest man next to live, uh, next to Jesus, of course. And he wrote all those things down. If you could have just a moment, if you could share a lunch with Warren Buffett and ask him for some investing advice, would you be wise to go to that lunch? Uh Uh-huh. Yes. The answer is yes. If you could sit down and dine with Solomon and ask him. Many kings did. They came from faraway lands. And yet his words are right in our pocket. And we fail to pay attention to them. Read, meditate, memorize. But the most important one is to obey it and obey it fully and obey it all the way. James 1 says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but instead do what it says. Do what it says. Someone once said that the word Bible could be an acrostic meaning B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. I love that. I love it because it gets us ready for this life and also the life to come. I'll close by telling you that when I became a Christian, it was because of my grandmother and my great aunt Donna. And they taught me the Bible and I studied the Bible at their kitchen table. And I remember Aunt Donna telling me she was trying to memorize the very first song. In her final days, I remember going to Aunt Donna's hospital room. And there on the tray that they put that awful hospital food on was something much better, something much sweeter than honey. It was the bread of life. And that old book that she had lived so well, and she had obeyed it, and she knew the the end was close, but she did not fear that day because she had obeyed the B-I-B-L-E. That was the book for her. She stood alone on the Word of God. And this morning, I want to invite you to do the same. Not just to read the words, not just to hear the preacher preach it, but to listen to it, to meditate on it, to memorize it, and most importantly, to do what it says.
The Bible is all not about you, but about Christ. And if you're not in Christ, then you're not ready to go. And I want to help you be ready to go, and our shepherds do too. If we can help you with that, please come forward. We'll be glad to share with you and break to you the bread of life. Or if you've just wandered away from the book that you know you should be in more and that should be in more of you, and you need some help and encouragement and prayer, let us help you and encourage you and pray with you. Whatever your need is, come this morning. We want to help you as together we stand and sing.